Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're the only super fund that is specifically focused on investing everyday Australian superannuation into residential property. That's that's essentially the important thing about superannuation. It's money that is meant to help service your retirement. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategy. I'm Torrin Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with CEO of Super Estate, Grant Britz. Britz will share more about his unique super fund company and how he got into property investing. He'll talk about the importance of the Australian property market and how investing your super fund into residential properties can set your home owning dreams in motion. Giving us more insight into what Super Estate is, Brits introduces us to Superfund's key differentiating point. Super Estate, we're a super fund. Uh, we're the only super fund that is specifically focused on investing everyday Australian superannuation into residential property. It's very clear for us to make the distinction we're for everyone, we're not an SMSF, we're, we're a regular super fund and our focus is residential. As the CEO and founder of Super Estate, Brits showcases that it is the people oriented focus of his super fund that sets it apart from others. As a super fund, a lot of our business process is acting as a super fund, so that's making sure our members' admin and back-end investing is, is happening and all being taken care of and all the reporting is being done. But the really exciting thing for our business is because we are focused on residential property as an investment class, this is actually a part of our business as well. And that's the exciting thing for the podcast, right? It's We're all interested in property and strategies and how people are investing there. And the exciting thing for us is that we actually we spend the vast majority of our time researching the markets, looking at properties, figuring out what we think the right strategy is on individual properties, and then uh, as you know more broadly our our overall portfolio position. Moving to Australia at the young age of seven, Brits's interest in properties grew from spending many of his childhood weekends with his family at Homeworld. I grew up out in Castle Hill, so in Sydney. Um, we immigrated here from South Africa when I was pretty young. I think I was about seven. So, really, really Sydney raised. I think I'd say. Mm. And, and do you still live in Castle Hill? No, I don't live in Castle Hill. I moved out of home when I was quite young, and I actually live now sort of on the northern beaches in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a nice area to grow up because that's where I currently live as well. So that's why I was thinking, wow, oh, we're very close. <laughs> yeah. No, look, Castle Hill is a great place to grow up, and. Actually, it's funny. I've only sort of reminisced and realized this quite recently, but I'll sort of jump into just my childhood here in property because growing up, I don't know, this this would be the same for some kids and obviously not for others, but 
I think there was a period of about five years from probably about the ages of eight through to probably 13, where I think my family spent every single weekend at Homeworld. Um, <laughs> That's but, a very popular so, place. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, look, it, I actually spent yeah, nearly – like, obviously, I had my sport, but then on Sundays or whatever it might have been, we spent a lot of time going and looking at properties because my parents were looking to actually build a house. Um and I think that's actually when my interest in property sort of really spiked up because every weekend you're going out and looking at these beautiful properties, imagining what they might be. And then sort of as time went on and evolved, I, I really found, and this is, I guess it's pretty weird for a, a, you know, a 12-year-old kid to be interested in looking at open homes, but essentially growing up, I couldn't walk past an open home without going to have a look and going to have that sticky beak and see how the property was laid out, You know, have my view on if I thought it was going to be a good property or what the price should be and so on. However, with his parents buying an established home, instead of building one, Brits became exposed to the various property types available for purchase. They literally spent years looking. They actually, I think they put down deposits on blocks of land that they then for whatever reason, didn't go through it. And there was a whole bunch of stories. They ended up actually just buying an existing house in Castle, out in Castle Hill that they lived in for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, interesting, I guess, learning phase for me to see what they went through. But they're very good to basically observe that from a young age, just looking at different types of properties and new properties versus old properties and so on. Growing up in Sydney, Brits's interest in property was put on the back burner and sports became his priority. I went to the local primary school, which is Oak Hill Drive, and then I went to school at Oak Hill College. Um, so, yeah, I, I was very much yeah, ra- raised in the hills. Hills, yep. And what about after schooling? Did you go out um, and, and study in a degree or did you um, go straight into the workforce? Yeah, so look, I actually, look at looking back on, I guess, my development and career, there's been a few very distinct phases. So all, all through school, I was actually, I was very heavily focused on sport. I was actually, um, so I was a swimmer. I'd, all through my high school, I basically, I'd finish school and then I'd go off to the pool for training. And this continued into university where essentially I was studying and competing. And then, yeah. Up until the age of 21, I'd say sport was actually my focus and I was very fortunate and very lucky with my sporting career. I managed to go to the Olympics and represent Australia and get a bronze medal, which for me at that point, oh, thank you very much. And for me in that point in my life, that was obviously a very huge achievement and it was something that I look back very fondly on. But I think the challenge as a 21-year-old and living in Sydney, I basically realized swimming whilst it was a great fun sport uh, already back then, I was looking around and I was going, oh, if I'm ever going to be able to support myself, I need to actually be able to earn an income and I need to be able to buy a house and all all these financial factors that come into life. And swimming, unfortunately, wasn't a sport that could really support that long term. So at that point, I basically made the decision to focus on my studies and my career, which that was kind of – I almost look at that as the end of my – call it my childhood development. And from then, it's been very much professionally focused. It was after substantial thought that Brits decided to leave his fulfilling swimming achievements behind. I'll be honest. I actually, look, I worked very, very hard, but I felt I got got very lucky and things really worked out for me in 2008. And I was very young. I think it it, it was that that balanced decision of going, okay, I can continue down this path for another four to eight years and maybe I can achieve more. Um, but, but then there was just too much of a nagging question going, okay, well, what else can I do? What other opportunities are there? And it it was a big step because when you leave anything you're familiar with, whether it's a job or a certain career path, it, it is always hard. And I guess I was very interested to see what else was out there because 
again, yeah, I felt I, I was very lucky in what I had achieved. And I had lots of friends who worked just as hard as me and maybe didn't quite get as lucky. So I basically thought, thought I'd cash in my chips and move, move on and see what else I could find. After completing university, Brits's journey into the world of large-scale investments began, his career path offering him a chance to work overseas. I finished off my degrees. I basically did a double degree in finance and commerce and straight out of university, I got a job at one of the investment banks doing M&A, capital market transactions and stuff like that, which it's, it, it was very exciting straight out of uni and the deals you work on are you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, which it is exciting because you learn a lot and you learn very quickly and essentially the stuff you're working on is in the newspapers, which it helps motivate a young professional to work hard. And the learning curve is extremely steep. So I I did that in Sydney for a few years. And I actually, I ended up taking that to New York. And I lived there for a year and spent a year working on US transactions and basically, yeah, learning more about the industry. And from a personal development standpoint, Working essentially on Wall Street in investment banking in New York was amazing for my learning. Um, it just it, it wasn't very good for my long term health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, long hours, yeah. I assume. No, exactly. Like, and I, I've always worked long hours, but when you're working till two a.m. sort of every single night, it, it does eventually add up, and it, it is great for your learning because you essentially pack a few years into one. Um, but I was very focused on just finance and we'll sort of come back to the property story in a second. But that was one of the nagging, I guess, items that I was looking for that I wasn't getting fulfilled in that career. Brits explains, however, that it was by working in the finance industry that he would gain the analytical skills needed to become the founder of Super State. Mergers and acquisitions. So, essentially what my job was, I was one of the analysts helping companies to either buy or sell other companies. So, I mean, you, you could even you could think of yourselves almost as like a real estate agent, but not for property. Instead of doing it for a two million dollar house, you're doing it for a two billion dollar tire company or, or a five hundred million dollar mine. One of the key skill sets you do learn in that industry is learning how to value any type of asset or business, which is very very valuable. And I guess one of my benefits of going down that career path very early, I, I was sitting at board tables and in meetings where there were very important, rich and powerful people negotiating these deals worth hundreds of millions of dollars. So you do get to see these high-level corporate interactions and negotiations play out, which, I mean, negotiations, whether you're negotiating an apartment purchase or a few hundred million dollar you know, company sale, there's certain tactics that people do use and they use in all these circumstances. So to be able to see people at the top of their game and the top of these industries doing that was very, very beneficial at an early early stage of my career. With work demands taxing his health, Brits moved back to Sydney, this time working for a fund that would give him the time to reignite his former interest in the property market. Because I, I was in New York and I did want to come back to Sydney. So I actually, when I came back, I worked for what is, it's, it's a fund, but it's, a, it's an algorithmic high-frequency trading fund that focuses on trading options and derivatives in, in Asia, essentially, so Hong Kong, Japan, Korea, which, again, is very, very technical and different, but um, they, again, something where you're dealing with transactions that are worth a lot of money, but again, slightly different to property, but I think for me, that step was, again, it was beneficial, but it did allow me a bit more time personally 
to start looking at the property market. Mm, okay. So how long were you with with that company for? So I was with that company for I think it was three and a half, nearly four years in the end. Um, and it was actually it was whilst I was working at that company when I I really got I, I guess my interest turned back to property. It was something that yeah from an early age I'd always had a high interest in, and I think. I think probably when I look back on my career, one of my, I don't want to call it a regret, but one of the items that I'd maybe revisit was all through my early financial career, I had this very strong interest in personal investment and property, but it was very hard following 2008, 9, and 10, basically post-GFC. Everyone, whenever you said, oh, I might buy a property, essentially the the theme was, oh, don't buy a property now. You know, things are going to go down. Just wait, just wait, just wait. And um I think because I was very focused on my career, it was easy to just ignore, mm, right? Mm, absolutely. So, yeah, and then <laughs> essentially that was very bad advice. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Grant Britz's journey and how he got started in property. I then started looking at the property market personally again and you know, I basically realized I was like, oh, I love this, you know, <laughs> like spending half my, half my day on domain and realestate.com rather than focusing on what I was actually meant to be doing. What's kept his company successful? We've got a lot riding on this for our members in terms of like, we've got a lot of responsibility. Um, It's the retirement funds that they've trusted with us and that needs to be our number one focus. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Looking at buying or investing in property, unsure of where and what to buy, many investors in the community have raised these questions frequently. That's why I've created a property sourcing service to help investors like yourself find investment opportunities at wholesale prices to add to your new or existing portfolio. I'm currently accepting expressions of interest. To apply, visit propertyinveststory.com.au. Now back to the show. So, how did Brits realize he could potentially turn his passion for property into a business? So, what happened? I, I I then started looking at the property market personally again, and you know, I basically realized I was like, oh, I love this, you know, <laughs> like spending half my, half my day on domain and real estate com rather rather than focusing on what I was actually meant to be doing. So, so while I was looking at all these properties, what I decided to do, I said, okay, well, I've I've, I've actually had a lot of training and had a lot of experience in valuing companies and different types of assets. I said, can we actually, can I build a financial model that will allow me to look at properties and essentially assess what I think the fair value is? And I spent quite a lot of time just on my, on a personal investment standpoint, actually running these numbers on properties, right? And, and on suburbs and going, okay, well, based on our analysis, do we think this is a good purchase? Do we think this is a good house? And it started off with a few properties I'd be looking at and I'd, I was basically, this is purely out of interest. We'd run the numbers on it and go, okay, well, it's going to auction this weekend. We think it's worth this. Um, do we see value in that? And then we'd go along and we'd basically see how things would play out. And we developed this, I guess, our personal model in terms of looking at property and ended up actually doing a few transactions personally, which worked out quite well. And we said, oh, well, and these transactions we were doing were in sort of late 2016, which if you look at the property cycle, you go, well, for Sydney, that was a very high point, right? But what what it really helped convey for us is that 
through all property cycles, there are always going to be great deals and not so great deals, right? Um, it's pro property because it is an unlisted asset class valuation. It is a science and an art. Um, and we, we basically, we think that, you know, when the market's doing very, very well, there might still be some great, like there might be some great sales and there might be some great purchases. And just, just like right now in the market, when we're seeing in Sydney, times are a lot tougher for sellers. Um, we're still seeing some things that we think are great deals for purchases, but then we're still seeing some sales processes where the seller is still achieving a great result. So it's this, um, it's one of the aspects that really draws us to property. It's, we, we think that if you're doing an intense amount of analysis in the background and you have a very strong understanding of the fundamental drivers of the value of a property, that you can come to a very informed decision on what you think that property is actually worth. Brits explains more about his analytical model, which along with Australia's transparent property market, is what allows companies such as his own to provide beneficial information to property investors. It's a financial model in the background that we sort of drive through Excel and uh, some things we keep close to our chest, but the, the information we're happy to share. So our property market is actually, I think it's the most transparent property market in the world, right? If you have access to certain research tools and even free information, you, you can basically find up, you can look up any property that's on the market. You can see the previous sales history. So Say, for example, you I don't know, say you're looking at a house in a certain suburb, you, you can look up the sales history for that house. But not only that, you can actually look up the recent sales for all the houses in, in the area and you can see what's been happening and you can very comfortably form your view on what you think that property should go on based on these previous sales. And you, you, you can do that comparing suburb to suburb and so on. But then the other thing that you can do as well is you can actually look up on, on the other side of the market, the rentals. Right, you can look up what properties are renting for. You can work out essentially what you think the fair yield for the suburb is, and how you think that should play out in terms of valuation. And when when you factor this in with other, I guess some other factors in the market, like how many properties are on the market right now, what other comparable properties are there, what are the clearance rates, what is the demand and the supply situation, you you can form numbers around these qualitative factors. He continues that it is this transparent market in comparison to the property market overseas that makes property investments very advantageous. In Australia, no one would ever ask you your salary or how much you earn, right? That's that's a very rude question. <laughs> like no one no one would ever come up to you and say, "Oh, hey, you know, how much did you get paid last year?" No one would do it. But I think the comfort of any Australian to go up to anyone and say, "Oh, I really like your house. What did you pay for it?" People have no problem doing that, and that's really fed into the data that is available out there on our market, right? Um, so it's it's very very interesting. With a company oriented focus rather than a personal one, Brits began to utilize his understanding of the property market to analyze the situations of close friends and relatives. My personal journey, like I done a sort of few smaller deals but the, the big one that was the real validation of our model was a transaction I did in 2016 um, and I think one of the big reasons and one of the big catalysts for us to move into this business was we, we bought a property and we're, we were very happy with the result but what I realized as well it was it was extremely hard for us like dealing with the banks making sure we had enough to actually you know just get the financing across the line on the deal Essentially, I looked at it and said, wow, I've 
I've had all this sort of background in doing the data, doing the research and actually going through the whole financing process. And I was like, that was not easy. I then looked at sort of a few of my friends and family who have similar aspirations and love the asset class and really want to invest in property. But I basically you know, looked at that and said, well, for them to achieve what they would like in the Sydney market, right now it's not feasible and it's probably not going to be feasible for them to get exposure to a certain type of asset anytime soon. And when we're talking about that, specifically looking at my friends who live here in Sydney, they want to own nice houses in nice areas that they think will do well over the long term because it's it's one of the things we look at and we go, okay, well, everyone in Sydney understands the inner city nice properties where people want to live, where there's really high demand. But being able to get access to those as an individual is extremely hard. And um, so that, that was one of our big catalysts, right? Going, okay, well, we, we, we've got all this data and analysis and we, we think we can make educated investments. But then sort of when we looked at our personal situations and our friends, it's going, okay, well, people don't necessarily have the hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars required to do this. Um, and look, a, a lot of my friends growing up here in Sydney, like a lot of them, they, they've had very good lives and they go to Europe every year and it's great and there's nothing wrong with that. But they also... They do want to get exposure to property, but at this point, it's one of those hurdles that some people look at and go, well, the amount you need is pretty astronomical. With their strange dream of owning a property becoming more unlikely every day, how did Brits envision the super fund as a means to secure practical investments? What we did, we said, well, hey, every one of our friends, they all work, they all have jobs, and they do all have this thing called superannuation. It's sitting out there. They have anywhere from $5,000 to sort of $100,000, depending on you know what they earn and how long they've been working. And it's essentially, it's sitting out there. It is being invested, but it's not being invested in things they necessarily care about or maybe even understand. Um, so we basically, that was one of the big catalysts for our business going, okay, can we pair up what is a very, very important asset class and what is essentially money that is it's being invested for your future and that's that's essentially the important thing about superannuation it's money that is meant to help service your retirement and we basically said well when we look at our retirements what is going to matter right we said will will the stock price of you know facebook matter when i retire that's no exactly so and we said well Will the, will the cost of housing in Sydney matter when I retire? And if you want to live in Sydney or if you want to live in Melbourne or wherever it might be, of course, because when you do retire, you either hopefully you own your property and you know hopefully you've done well personally and you might have some other investments. But the reality is maybe when you retire, maybe you won't own your home outright and you will have to pay off the rest of your mortgage or perhaps you will be a lifetime renter. There are going to be these situations and we think it's really important, no matter what your final situation is when you get to retirement, that you've had the benefit of being financially exposed to the asset class. With the priority of helping his clients find financially secure investments, Brits managed to build his business while enjoying the process of property browsing rather than buying. Look, I, I jumped straight into the business. So I actually, I, I spoke to the bank and said, hey, can, can I get some more finance to, to, to do some more deals? And they basically said... Um, Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, look, so it's, it's, and especially like the, the last year for the banks has been very challenging. So, and to, to be honest, like I, I don't think I've had the time or the capacity. We've been so focused on the business in terms of setting everything up and looking at properties for the business. It's just, 
it is the focus. We, we, we've got a lot riding on this for our members in terms of like, we've got a lot of responsibility. Um, it's the retirement funds that they've trusted with us and that needs to be our number one focus, which for me, it's like, it's kind of nice because I still get to spend a lot of time looking at property, which I love. Um, but yeah, the, the trade-off for me is that I, I, I'm looking on the benefit and you know working for the benefit of our members and not just for myself. Sharing his own experiences with unsuccessful investments, Brits explains what happened with his worst investment. I think it was, it was 2000 and would have been 2008. I was playing around in the stock market because everyone was at that point and it was just before the GFC happened. And I remember I literally bought Fortescue medals the day before Lehman Brothers collapsed. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I, up until that point, the stock market had been doing quite well. And I thought I was, you know, I was like, oh, this stock trading thing is interesting. And essentially, that was one of those short term lessons where I basically didn't do enough research, didn't look at the broader market and see what was going on and jumped in. But I think what I learned from that, I, I very quickly crystallized that position and took the loss. But the funny thing was Fortescue after that, obviously, they had a very rough short-term period. But again, over the long term, I think if I, I haven't looked at it now for quite a while, but if, had I hung on to that position for a few more years, it actually would have turned itself around and done quite well. Um, and I think the thing that that taught me, it's like, well, any investment you're going to make, you need to know it backwards. You need to know every single piece of that investment thesis and why you're making it because and that's the big thing with property with shares it's very easy if you just do buy a stock and you realize you've made a bad trade you can just sell it very quickly whereas with property when you're making that investment it's a bigger decision because typically it'll be a bigger amount of money and you can't just flip in and flip out of positions you need to have a lot of conviction with what you're doing Brits demonstrates however that despite his success he too has had some aha moments in his property investing journey. I think my biggest aha moment with property was, I guess, my last property investment, which we've spoken about, which was that personal one where we actually ran our models. I think that was one where we, we had all of our numbers, we had all of the data, and we went in on our strategy very firmly. And essentially what happened, we did the deal, and then very shortly after we closed the deal, there was another property sale of a practically identical property just down the road that sold for well above what we had just paid. I think that was one of those crystallizations of going, ah, okay, if we have this data and analysis on our side, we can make very well-informed views that will hopefully over the long term yield some great results. So, inspired by this story and what Grant Britz is excited about today, We'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory Podcast where we'll talk about how to apply his strategy. One of the steps in our purchasing process is we get every property independently valued by one of the property valuers. Um, so what they do, they actually set our, the cap or the limit. So we, we actually can never pay more than what an independent valuer says the property is worth. The steps he's taken to find every property for the super fund one of the steps in our purchasing process is we get every property independently valued by one of the property values. To success habits for property investing? I think that's something whether you're looking at personal investment or business or whatever it might be that I think really resonates and listening to not only their successes but also challenges and failures is something that's very valuable. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory Podcast.
Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.